This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Mammoth Biosciences is developing next-generation CRISPR products using alternatives to the Cas9 enzyme to read and write genetic code. The company, co-founded by Nobel laureate and CRISPR co-inventor Jennifer Doudna, is applying the technology broadly beyond therapeutics to include not only diagnostics, but agricultural, environmental monitoring, and biodefense. We spoke to Trevor Martin, co-founder and CEO of Mammoth, about the use of CRISPR as a diagnostic tool, the advantages alternatives to Cas9 may offer, and the company's recently announced alliance with Vertex. Since recording this interview, Mammoth entered into a strategic collaboration with Bayer to use its CRISPR system to develop in vivo gene editing therapies. That deal includes a $40 million upfront payment and more than $1 billion in potential milestones. Trevor, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Mammoth CRISPR as a diagnostic tool and your partnership with Vertex to develop in vivo gene editing therapies. Let's start with CRISPR, which is a bacterial defense mechanism that's being harnessed to really revolutionize science and medicine. What is CRISPR and what is its significance in the realm of human health? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so CRISPR is really at the forefront of this kind of new wave of what we call engineering biology. And it's a tool that allows us to actually um, change DNA and RNA. Um, so you can think about it as this kind of like tiny programmable molecular machine <clears throat> that we can use to actually go into a cell <clears throat> or even outside of a cell and actually remove or add or alter um, DNA are now, you know, there's a lot of excitement around RNA sequence editing as well. And the way this works is that the uh, CRISPR protein can actually be programmed by giving it what's called uh, guide RNA. And these are RNA molecules that basically we're very good at designing and synthesizing. And we can do these um, with intelligent uh, design so that they target a certain section of the DNA or RNA that we actually want to edit and it doesn't allow the protein to go to other areas that we don't want it to edit. So an example could be that there's a disease that um, is caused by a certain mutation in some gene. So you can design this guide RNA for the CRISPR system, uh, most commonly Cas9 is probably one people have heard of, and it would then go to that sequence in the genome, it would bind there, and it would actually then change the sequence to potentially cure that disease. And that's what's really exciting about uh, what CRISPR can be used for, among other things. People 
who have heard of CRISPR have probably heard it in conjunction with Cas9. What is Cas9 and what does it do? Yeah, so Cas9 was one of the first uh, CRISPR systems that uh, people have been excited about and using um, to do this type of editing, for example. Um, and really fundamentally, it's this enzyme that can act as a pair of molecular scissors that cuts the DNA at a specific location in the genome so that then you could um, either just use the natural repair of that cut um, to change something about the genome, or you could add DNA or remove DNA. Or now people are combining uh, things like Cas9 with other proteins that maybe turn a gene on, turn a gene off, or modify a gene in some other way. There's been some efforts to develop a, a toolkit of other enzymes that can cleave nucleic acid as an alternative to Cas9. What are the limits of Cas9 and, and why are these alternative enzymes needed? Yeah, so I think what's exciting is that, I mean, Cas9 is a great tool to be clear, but um, there are some limitations around, especially what it could do, for example, um, in vivo. And that's one of the things we've pioneered at Mammoth Biosciences is, for example, this field of uh, ultra small CRISPR systems. And these are proteins that are actually just uh, physically smaller than proteins like Cas9, which can be uh, quite large. And that uh, large size of things like Cas9 can mean that, that it's actually difficult to put them um, in uh, the widest variety of delivery methods possible. So one example would be something uh, like AV vectors, uh, which are very popular delivery method um, in vivo. Um, and many of the Cas9 proteins just uh, straight up exceed the payload limit of those vectors. Um, and what that means is that it can be difficult um, to use these types of delivery technologies to actually get the CRISPR system where it needs to go in the cells and the tissues, especially when you need to deliver other things as well, like the guide RNA and many other things that you want to deliver in there. Um, so with these ultra small or just physically smaller systems um, that we've pioneered at Mammoth, um, it can really solve a lot of those problems around delivery in vivo. Um, and some other examples are things um, like the targetability of the proteins. So um, when we say that something like Cas9 is programmable, there are some rules around where it could actually be targeted in the genome. And that's uh, defined, for example, by the PAM sequence. So that's a restriction on uh, where exactly it could go. So you can think about it as like, it can only go to certain zip codes in the genome. It can't go to every single zip code. Um, so we have proteins that relative um, to other uh, systems can target way more sites in the genome, and that can really open up more editable sites. So those are some examples of things that the novel systems that we've developed at Mammoth can really help unlock um, as well. I think most of our listeners who are familiar with CRISPR think of it in terms of a being a therapeutic tool. Uh, we're we're going to talk about that, but before we do, Mammoth initially focused on CRISPR as a diagnostic tool. What's the potential for CRISPR as a diagnostic, and what advantages does it offer other other types of tests? So fundamentally, Mammoth's really been all about this kind of next generation of CRISPR. And as we were starting off the company, one of the things that we had invented early on that was really exciting is that by looking at the diversity of all these different CRISPR systems and just really taking an agnostic approach to what they're capable of, we had been able to develop this really cool um, property um, that was enabling uh, a new type of diagnostic test. So um, as you mentioned early on in the company, this is one of the first things that we started commercializing was this kind of new diagnostic capability of 
uh, certain CRISPR systems. And um, at the highest level, the way this kind of diagnostic capability of the CRISPR systems works is that, again, you're using CRISPR as a programmable technology. But now, instead of programming it to target some location in a genome that you want to edit, you're programming it to target some sort of sequence that you want to detect. So an example, you know, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic still, uh, would be targeting SARS-CoV-2 sequence. And the way you would do that is now you design your guide RNA to be something that's unique to SARS-CoV-2 and not found in, say, the flu or the human genome, other things you might find in you know, a, a nasal swab or a throat swab. And um, then let's say this is all happening you know, in some test tube or some swab. What you can do is that for certain proteins with these special um, uh, kind of diagnostic properties, if they find their target and they successfully uh, recognize um, what that guide RNA is targeting the protein to, then they don't just cut the sequence they're bound to, which is kind of what you use for classic, say, editing with Cas9. Um, they'll actually not stop there, and they'll actually cut uh, many orders of magnitude more single-stranded uh, DNA or RNA molecules in that solution. And that is a way of reading out the signal that they successfully found there, for example, SARS-CoV-2 target. And that's a very powerful uh, concept that you can use to build these new types of CRISPR-based diagnostic tests. Well, what specific diagnostic test is Mammoth developing and where are you in that process? Yeah, so um, we've done a lot of work and we've been very fortunate to work with some great collaborators, for example, on uh, SARS-CoV-2 diagnostic. Um, so we've had collaborations with organizations like the NIH and um, GSK, and Agilent and Hamilton. Um, and we even uh, received an EUA approval for one of the uh, first generations of this CRISPR-based diagnostic uh, chemistry that really demonstrated that this chemistry can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these technologies that have been out there and established for decades. <laughs> right, like PCR. Um, so it's been a really um, highly accelerated time of development of these technologies that are really just coming onto the stage. And it's been exciting to see how much they really can um, really be comparable with gold standard methods like uh, PCR. Um, and we have some really great papers um, that are available uh, on our website as well where we um, outline how these CRISPR-based diagnostic tests work, and also um, even more recently outline how you can use CRISPR-based diagnostics for things like variant detection. So are you looking at this for genetic diseases? Yeah, so beyond uh, things like SARS-CoV-2 and infectious disease, you could definitely imagine leveraging this type of technology um, to diagnose things like uh, genetic disease. Um, I think one of the powers of CRISPR is its uh, specificity and looking at things like SNPs, whether that's for variants of an infectious disease like COVID or beyond. Um, and I think that's one of the really powerful aspects of CRISPR. At the end of October, you announced a partnership with Vertex to develop in vivo gene editing therapies for two genetic diseases using Mammoth's next generation CRISPR systems. Can you walk us through the terms of that deal? Uh, yeah, so we're really excited uh, to partner with uh, Vertex on these uh, kind of in vivo therapies. Um, and uh, obviously, as you uh, probably saw, 
Uh, we can't reveal anything about the uh, targets, but we received an upfront payment of uh, $41 million and we're eligible for $650 million in future payments on you know, success. And I think more importantly though, it's a really great example of how at Mammoth, we were building this platform technology, right? Across with uh, therapeutics and diagnostics. And that means that there's so many diseases that we could tackle with and really have a huge impact on patients. And that means that in addition to the work that we're doing internally, it's really important to us that we partner with uh, other organizations that are extremely patient focused as well and could help us make sure that this technology is really impactful in diseases that we wouldn't enter otherwise. Um, and I think that's a big part of what we're excited about here as well as, yeah, just accelerating the advance of this technology to patients. Well, with regard to the partnership with Vertex, what are what is Mammoth's role? What is Vertex's role? Yeah, so uh, we can't go into too much detail there, unfortunately, but I think at a high level, what we're excited about is we're bringing these next generation uh, CRISPR technologies and behind that, this whole protein discovery engine where we're constantly building on this uh, proprietary toolbox of um, cast proteins, um, including things like Cas14 and Casp, uh, and working with an organization like uh, Vertex that has this really deep clinical expertise and experience going to patients, I think is a really powerful combination. One of the things Mammoth is providing as part of this agreement is its ultra-compact Cas enzymes What's the specific significance of being able to deliver these ultra compact enzymes in a in vivo gene editing product? Yeah, so I think it goes back to a lot of the delivery aspects, for example. Um, so having much smaller system can just open more doors to what's possible on the delivery side. Um, and obviously, um, that's something we're really excited about enabling with for our internal products and uh, for uh, the therapies we build with partners as well. And, and what are the, the implications for being able to deliver a CRISPR gene editing product as an in vivo therapy rather than an ex vivo? Does it, what, what's the impact in terms of cost, production, delivery, and, and the ability to treat a broader range of diseases? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so I think some of the things uh, at a high level are, what if you could deliver um, kind of the therapy in a single package or a single payload, whether that's AV or something else. And I think that is a very powerful concept um, that would really uh, potentially have a huge impact in the in vivo space. I think also it creates a lot of flexibility um, for the type of cargo you're delivering broadly in vivo. Um, so, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of um, development now. It seems like every month there's some sort of new technique where um, you're leveraging the CRISPR systems in conjunction with uh, additional functionality, whether that's activating or inhibiting or uh, base editing or otherwise. Um, so I think it can leave a lot of uh, additional uh, payload capacity for things like that. Um, so those are some examples of what could be enabled. Mammoth is is looking to partner across a broad range of applications of the technology beyond human healthcare. Is the Vertex Agreement the first in human therapeutics? So the uh, Vertex Agreement is our first uh, public human therapeutics partnership. 
Um, as I mentioned, we're really excited that we have this platform that can be used for a variety of different applications, obviously within human healthcare, but therapeutics and diagnostics. But as you mentioned, beyond it as well, right? In agriculture, biomanufacturing, uh, all sorts of areas where basically you want to be able to engineer biology. Um, so there, we definitely want to make sure that we're working with organizations that are also similarly product focused um, to really make sure this technology can have the full impact that we know it can realize. <laughs> yeah, that's really exciting. And what's the plan in terms of pursuing other therapeutic applications? And do you expect to do this only through partnerships or is the company considering pursuing any indications on its own? Yeah, we'll definitely be pursuing indications internally, and we're very excited about that. And, uh, the internal pipeline is core to what makes Mammoth Mammoth, because um, that's really, um, you know, what's exciting about this type of platform technology is it means we can really take a lead on driving uh, therapies to patients uh, in addition to working with partners. Um, so in terms of uh, next steps there, over in the future, we'll definitely have more information available about um, what our internal pipeline targets are and things like that. But right now, we don't have that public. In addition to the funding Mammoth will get through the Vertex partnership, it completed $150 million venture financing in September. How far will existing funding take you and what's the path to revenue? Yeah, so we're very fortunate to have uh, really supportive long-term investors. Uh, most recently, we did a Series D for $150 million that was uh, led by Red Mile Group. And uh, what I think is exciting there is that really does give us the capital base um, to start really doubling down on both our diagnostic products and bringing those to market and also beginning to uh, move our therapies further along towards uh, the clinic and patients, both ourselves and with partners. Um, so I think in general, obviously biotech's expensive and we really are in this for the long haul. Um, so uh, what we focus on on the financing side is really just long-term health of the company over the next uh, 10 years. Trevor Martin, co-founder and CEO of Mammoth Biosciences. Trevor, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.